This episode of Markets Daily is sponsored by Kava and BCB Group. It's Saturday, June 11th, 2022, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again at Consensus Austin with your weekend story. On today's show, we're taking a look at a new global survey on the perception of Bitcoin. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Today's featured story comes to us by David Z. Morris, Coindesk's chief insights columnist. Today's feature is entitled, Even Giants Started Out Small, Cooperation and the Early Days of Bitcoin. A new research paper to be released this week sheds some interesting light on Bitcoin's first two years of existence, finding that the small group of early miners often played by the rules even when they had the opportunity to cheat. The paper, titled Cooperation Among an Anonymous Group Protected Bitcoin During Failures of Decentralization, is interesting and valuable work including the team's discovery of a new way of tracking Bitcoin activity through a mining data stream dubbed the Extranauts. But it's also highly technical and nuanced, and the topics it touches on, including Bitcoin security, privacy, and distribution, are highly contentious. This makes it quite vulnerable to misinterpretation or misrepresentation by non-specialists. The paper finds that for long stretches between January 2009 and February of 2011, one miner on the nascent Bitcoin network had the opportunity to conduct a 51% attack. By virtue of controlling a majority of the network's mining power, also known as hash rate, that miner would have been able to double spend coins, which can in some circumstances leave recipients without a transaction that they thought had cleared. But despite these lengthy windows of opportunity, no early Bitcoin miners attacked the chain. Quote, Strikingly, we find that potential attackers always chose to cooperate instead, the researchers write. The researchers, a large team including members from Baylor College of Medicine and Rice University, have emphasized that the paper does not make the claim about Bitcoin outside of that short, early window. The discovery that early Bitcoiners cooperated, even when they had the chance to cheat, may seem unremarkable on its face. Bitcoin, in its earliest years, was an experiment with little or no economic value. And the various actors almost certainly had more to gain by supporting the system than attacking it. But the research is only in a limited sense even about Bitcoin as a technical system. Its primary goal, instead, is to study responses to a social dilemma in a group of anonymous individuals. End quote. In this case, the social dilemma was how to build a system vulnerable to attack in its early stages. The answer, which is also apparent if you're familiar with the real-world story of Bitcoin's early development and growth, was some mix of trust, common cause, and enlightened self-interest. So, early Bitcoin is a useful case study on human behavior under particular game-theoretical conditions. But a better understanding of the Bitcoin system was not the researcher's primary goal. Quote, The key to the paper is the behaviors that we characterize. Team member Dr. Erez Aiden, a genomics researcher at the Baylor College of Medicine, told Coindesk in a response to emailed questions. That helps explain why, while the team was composed largely of mathematicians and computer scientists, many of them work on research problems in genomics, biology, and medicine. The research is ultimately less concerned with Bitcoin itself than with the behavior of the humans who created Bitcoin, including those who, given the opportunity to steal, chose not to. This is why the paper concludes with a psychological experiment using a game-theoretical model to mimic early Bitcoiner behavior. Participants played a game called Centipede, which allows anonymous players to steal from one another in a way similar to a 51% attack. In experimental repetitions of an 8-player Centipede game, the researchers found that players displayed high levels of cooperation even when the incentive to steal was high and they were anonymous to other players. While not directly relevant to understanding Bitcoin security on a technical level, these findings are at least a bit reassuring on the subject of human nature. 
Stay tuned, and when we come back, we'll dive more deeply into Bitcoin privacy, security, and more. We'll be right back. Kava gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications on DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure earning platform. Kava is an institutional-grade cross-chain engine built to scale on the largest decentralized proof-of-stake network. With loan APYs as low as 0% and reward APYs as high as 200%, Kava is the safest place for you to grow your digital portfolio. Mint stablecoins. Lend, borrow, earn, and swap safely across the world's biggest crypto assets with Kava. To learn more, visit kava.io slash marketsdaily. BCB Group is the leading global provider of business accounts and trading services for the digital asset economy. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency, and foreign exchange market liquidity for crypto-engaged financial institutions. BCB business accounts offer multi-currency transaction banking solutions. With Blink Instant Settlements Network, you can move money instantly 24-7 with no transaction fees. Visit bcbgroup.com slash coindesk to find out more about how BCB is empowering the global financial revolution. Welcome back. So first, let's talk about Bitcoin privacy. Is Bitcoin less private than we thought? Not for the vast majority of users, and the researchers make no such claim. They do identify a new form of data leakage relevant to the study of on-chain Bitcoin activity. This is a piece of metadata known as the extranauts. This is uniquely generated by individual miners. But the new method has fairly limited utility, and according to the researchers, isn't a game-changer on its own, even within the limited sphere of transaction graphing. Quote, If all we did was add in the extra nonce, which is quite error-prone, it would be completely impossible to reconstruct the early Bitcoin community, Aiden told Coindesk. The paper uses many other transaction-linking techniques, largely methods that are already in widespread use in chain analysis. Moreover, it seems the extra nonce would only provide significant new transparency into the very earliest days of Bitcoin. That's largely because it relies on metadata generated by miners specifically. Because the earliest Bitcoiners relied on Bitcoin clients for both mining and wallet or key control functions, and because mining on a home computer or gaming rig was economical for much of the study period, a wide variety of early users may have generated extra nonce data. But in the years since, mining has almost entirely migrated to specialized mining machines, known as ASICs or application-specific integrated circuits. These are run at industrial scale by professional mining companies for the most part. Meanwhile, contemporary users are vastly more likely to buy Bitcoin on a marketplace than to mine it themselves. The vast majority of individual Bitcoin users now use wallet-only software with no mining capacity and will never mine on their own hardware. These users will never generate extranauts data. On the other hand, the extranauts may very well be a threat to a handful of very early miners, particularly anyone who worked to conceal their identity over the long term. There may also be some implications for miners today, but the new data seems primarily useful for transaction graphing tracking within a limited time period, and for a very small group of agents, and perhaps for some who transacted with them. Just as importantly, the introduction of extranauts data does not add any qualitatively new way to connect transactions or wallets to real-world identities. As the researchers detail, they are able to connect identities to wallets through public posts or other disclosures, usually instances where a user posted their own Bitcoin address publicly. Extranauts' data may enhance the ability to track connections to these doxed entities, but it does not create a new way to connect real identities to Bitcoin addresses. Aiden was quite direct about this in response to a clarifying question from Coindesk, quote, All of the forms of data leakage we exploited were guided by our desire to understand that 25-month-long period, end quote, after Bitcoin's launch, he said. Continuing, 
Now, obviously, Bitcoin has been through extensive changes since 2011, so some forms of data leakage may work less well and some may work better. Extranauts is probably going to be less impactful today, end quote. The research was not intended to make a sweeping claim about Bitcoin privacy, and it doesn't. So what about security? Is Bitcoin less secure than we thought? No, and the researchers make no such claim. But an early passage does seem ripe to be plucked out of context to misrepresent their stance. The researchers write that, quote, Wealth, income, and resources in the early Bitcoin community were highly centralized. This threatened Bitcoin security, which relies on decentralization, routinely enabling agents to perform a 51% attack, end quote. But the takeaway from this is absolutely not that Bitcoin as a system is insecure, because the researchers are explicitly and only talking about the two-year period of study, covering from January of 2009 through February of 2011. Instead, their more limited finding is that, repeatedly, in the early days of Bitcoin, the single miner was generating more than 51% of network hash power for several blocks in a row. For instance, during the week of September 29th through October 4th of 2010, a miner described in the paper as agent number two had, quote, enough resources to perform a 51% attack during several six-plus-hour-long windows, end quote. This would have made it trivially easy for such a miner to double-spend tokens or even to reorganize the chain to give themselves all the Bitcoin in existence. But they didn't. Agent number two continued to process transactions normally, even at a moment when they could have done pretty much whatever they wanted. That behavior by individuals is the point of the research, rather than any technical or structural claim about Bitcoin itself. This claim is both fairly abstract and fairly obvious, simply because the risk-reward calculus of performing a 51% attack between 2009 and 2011 was vastly different than it would be today. For much of the period under study, Bitcoin had no economic value. Bitcoin Pizza Day, as it's known, the first monetary transaction using Bitcoin known to the public, took place in May of 2010, two-thirds of the way through the study period. Mt. Gox, the first widely used Bitcoin exchange, launched in July of 2010, more than three-quarters of the way through the study period. That means that for most of the study period, even when miners had long strings of uncontested blocks, they had absolutely nothing to gain from a 51% attack. Agent number two's altruistic mining is particularly notable because it took place after these economic milestones. Miners also had a lot to lose by attacking. First, that's because the early Bitcoin community was so tight-knit. Many of the players knew each other personally, if only via email and message boards. Attacking the chain in its vulnerable early days might have made a miner a pariah. Furthermore, such an attack was unlikely to actually earn an attacker that much money. Even after Bitcoin gained economic value, news of a 51% attack could have led people seeing Bitcoin as a failed experiment, destroying that value. These days, a brute force 51% attack on Bitcoin is economically prohibitive and would probably be socially rejected to boot. That is, other miners and users would migrate to a chain rolled back to a pre-attack state, leaving an attacker holding tokens on a far less valuable fork. While there may be some sort of alliance or a more complex tactic that could lead to a successful 51% attack, they would require Herculean efforts. The situation the paper describes, in which there simply aren't that many competing miners, is unlikely to recur anytime soon. Using this evidence to question Bitcoin's decentralized security model is simply a non-sequitur, a complete misreading of the research. But what about equality? Is Bitcoin more unequal than we thought? No, and in fact the researchers find overwhelming evidence that it rapidly became more economically egalitarian after its launch. The researchers do use some terms that could lead superficial readers astray. The researchers write that, quote, in line with the findings of Vilfrido Perito, wealth, income, and resources in the early Bitcoin community were highly centralized, end quote. Perito is often cited in social science research in income and wealth inequality in society. 
Broadly, his Pareto principle is often used to analyze or diagnose the tendency in some societies for wealth to become increasingly concentrated in a society over time because of an inequality of returns for efforts. It's also sometimes known as the 80-20 rule. The citation seems at first glance to implicate Bitcoin in this dynamic, and notably, even on its own terms, such a finding would not be a critique of Bitcoin alone, but also of the broader society that it exists within. But the researchers are not claiming, as some may assert, that Bitcoin as a whole tends toward wealth concentration in a way that, in turn, threatens network security. Instead, the paper's actual on-chain data about mining and token distribution shows quite the opposite. In a footnote, the researchers make this explicit, quote, During the final two intervals, January 2010 through February of 2011, minor income inequality declines greatly, falling in line with levels seen in typical economies, end quote. On a related note, the researchers found that, quote, Almost all contemporary Bitcoin addresses can be connected to top early agents by a chain of six transactions, end quote. This finding could be easily misrepresented to argue that Bitcoin remains highly centralized today or that those early miners have undue power in the system. But the significance of the findings is unclear, since real-world human beings, even across a large geographic area, are often separated from one another by six relationship links or fewer. This hypothesis was first developed by Stanley Milgram in the 1960s and was elaborated and significantly validated by researchers in the early 2000s. It's difficult in this light, then, to see anything notable, much less scandalous, in the claim that most Bitcoin addresses are linked by six transactions to early miners. Though it is useful data to have, it's more a matter of universal principles of probability and human behavior than the discovery of some secretive Bitcoin mafia. Similarly, a chart that we'll link in the show notes of mining output during Bitcoin's first two years may appear to highlight concentration of mining among a small set of actors, including Satoshi themselves. But its presentation may obscure what it actually shows, the speed with which that concentration ended. Though it's easy to miss, the chart is actually a timeline, moving clockwise starting from Satoshi's big red block of coins mined between January and July of 2009. Once you get to the upper left quadrant, representing the period from August 2010 to February of 2011, the multitude of rainbow-colored dots around those last few big miners represents the rising decentralization of Bitcoin mining and earning over time, a trend which has more or less continued since. In the current environment, Bitcoin and blockchain technology are frequently demonized by powerful voices who either don't comprehend its promise or comprehend it all too well and want to stop it. While this new research is compelling in its own terms, it unfortunately seems likely it'll be misrepresented by voices that want to leverage it for their own ends. And intentionally or not, the paper does occasionally give more rhetorical fuel to such misrepresentations than its actual findings merit. The researchers have also gone to at least some effort to exploit Bitcoin's centrality to their research to get more attention for it, as shown by coverage in the New York Times ahead of the paper's publication. This is fine as far as it goes. More academics could benefit from a bit of marketing savvy. And again, this appears to be interesting stuff. But unfortunately, we can predict with some confidence that this broader visibility will create more opportunities for it to be misinterpreted by those who approach it with an agenda rather than on its own terms. While early Bitcoin users were willing to cooperate to build something world-changing, not everyone is so generous. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. We are on the ground in Austin, Texas for day one of Consensus, open now for Piranha and ProPass members with general admission and the show floor kicking off tomorrow. If you're in town for the conference, make sure to check us out at the podcast booth where we'll be recording another episode of Markets Daily. This episode was edited by Adrian Blust. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. 